You're listening to The Beauty Brain Show, where real scientists answer your beauty questions. And now, here's Randy and Perry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 152. And on this show, for the first time ever, we're going to have an all-audio question program. Yeah, we're going to respond to listeners who've asked about foot exfoliators, makeup setting sprays, and sunscreen pills. Wow. But first, does it come, hey, wait, Randy. does it cost extra for the all audio question version? Uh, no, no, there's no extra charge. In fact, there's no charge for this uh, show at all. Yeah, I think that's a, which, a problem. I know that might explain the quality of the show. <laughs> you get what you pay for, ladies and gentlemen. Indeed, indeedy. Well, we also have some beauty science news today, but uh, do we have any of that uh, lovely uh, banal banter we're so famous That's for? That's kind of your uh, ballywick. You know what? Um, I do have something. Okay. So I'm, I'm training for the Chicago Marathon, right? Oh, you're going to run your first a, marathon. Congratulations. This will actually be my 39th marathon. Oh, could have mentioned it <laughs> but, sooner, but all right. <laughs> but yesterday I was uh, running a 20-mile training run. Mm-hmm. And I tripped over a, a plastic strip and landed very hard on the concrete, and I believe that I've broken a rib. Are you serious? I am serious. It hurts like hell. And so rather than go to the emergency room, you've decided to podcast today. Well, it was, it was in mile two of a 20-mile run, and I, didn't, I figured I, I didn't want to skip the run. And, oh, so you finished you know. running with a potentially a broken rib. Great. It's just a sore rib. I'm, it's, it's probably just bruised, right? Probably. Probably. Well, this is the kind of trooper I am because instead of going to that emergency room, I wanted to make sure we recorded this show. You, you are indeed a trooper. <laughs> so why don't we get to that uh, uh, beauty science news? All right, let's go for it. I'll take the first one. Hey, Randy, remember that uh, a few shows back we, we brought uh, news about... Uh, Beauty maker J&J losing a court case related to talc in baby powder. Uh, they were claimed to have caused some woman's cancer. Yeah, the legal system overrides science. Yes, I remember that. Right. Well, J&J was ordered to pay $72 million to the family of a woman in St. Louis last February. And in May, a different jury awarded $55 million to a woman from South Dakota for her cancer. Jeez. Yeah, and I thought this was going to doom the beauty industry, I mean, if these judgments stood, right? Um, But it seems that J&J has a few lawyerly tricks up their sleeve, (laughs) because they just convinced a judge in New Jersey to throw out two lawsuits brought by women claiming that baby powder was responsible for their ovarian cancer. Uh, They convinced the judge that there's no science behind it, and science is sort of on their side on this, right? Hmm. So this ruling is going to help J&J in more than 1,000 suits that were brought up wow. against them in federal and state courts. Um, it's, it's going to directly affect another 200 lawsuits that were brought in New Jersey. So all of those will be directly thrown out. But it's only going to indirectly help those in other states. Hmm. Now, the reason the cases were thrown out is because the judge said that the women couldn't produce sufficient medical evidence that showed that the J&J baby powder caused their cancer. Well, is that Which, really, is the onus on the women to produce that data? That seems a little strange. 
Well, I think so. If you, if you claim that a product caused your cancer, wouldn't you have to demonstrate that it was that product that caused the cancer? Uh, well, wouldn't the scientific community have a say in that? Well, I mean, that's, yeah, you're supposed to go to the scientific community, right? Hmm. Uh, if, you're, if you're the defense attorney or the, or the prosecuting side, right? Right. So anyway, I, you know, it, it does seem strange to me that, you know, not enough scientific evidence gets, you know, thrown out while others are just allowed to go through. Like, like these cases are supposed to be based on science, right? right. And so St. Louis, South Dakota, right. the, it's the, not those cases go through, yeah. New Jersey. They don't, so why isn't there just one thing that goes there? I don't know. Now, this could be a big problem for the beauty industry, because if people can hold companies directly responsible for any cancer that they have, but they don't have to prove cause and effect, you know, I don't really see how anybody could reasonably run a cosmetic uh, company. Because if you had cancer, you just say, oh, I used this uh, shampoo all my life. That must have been the cancer. Right. Yeah, hence the dooming so, of the industry, as you predicted. Yeah, that's, that's my goal. Well, but it, it seems like, uh, well... J&J is prevailing thus far, but they still have a lot of lawsuits against them. Hmm. So we'll see where it goes. Well, this is, we're kind of on a theme here. Here's a, it's sort of a related story in, in terms of, it's related in the sense that it's undermining science, I guess, a little bit. Really? Um, well, remember a few episodes we talked about the, and I quote here, the ultra-scientific brand NIOD? Uh, and yeah. we criticized them for the way they use science to market their products because it was more pseudoscience than anything else. Well, we're not the only ones to pick up on this concern. I was actually contacted by a pediatrician who works in medical education and scientific communications, and she's written a fantastic blog post about this very topic. Now, she calls it science washing. <laughs> yes, science washing. Uh, I like that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like, you know, like greenwashing is pretending to be green or at least being superficially green. Well, science washing is being superly, su superficially scientific, I guess. Uh, <laughs> right. So let me just give you a quote from the article. She says, um, science washing is, uh, this is when product marketers create brand messaging that speaks to emotional associations, only rather than appealing to a fear of science, science-washed products are positioned to appeal to the novice scientist. She calls this an anti-science -anti trend, <laughs> which I thought, uh. I thought was clever. Um, she goes on to say that this is problematic because it, quote, employs the terms of, sorry, it employs the terms of scientific study without actually providing evidence of the necessary scientific rigor. In other words, no data. So it, it looks right. like it's scientific, but there's really no underpinning there that's that's based on data. So she says this is a, she attributes it to a backlash against anti-scientific products. Uh, you know, so she thinks it's a recent thing. I, I think science washing has always been part of the beauty industry. Absolutely. I mean, we did it in, at our company. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I think it, the popularity of it waxes and wanes. But, you know, I remember back in the 80s, L'Oreal used to have these techie sounding names when they were, you know, really the ingredients weren't substantially different. I mean, there's, there's different ways to science wash, but I, I think it's been going on, on quite a while. So yeah, and you know, what makes science wash like, when you see a, a, a TV commercial where they put a disclaimer on there that these claims are based on what consumers said, yeah, right? It's yeah, not based on a study. That's kind of science washing. Yeah, there's, even there's though they... different, different ways to get at it. But anyways, yeah. I, I thought it was really interesting. She's actually doing a three-part series on this. I'll put a link uh, in the show notes. But yeah, that, that, yeah, that was a, a very good article. And uh, that, that, I like that new term, science washing. <laughs> All right, I got one on, uh, I got a story on wrinkles. Oh. Um, 
I stumbled on this study funded by the the Rock Skincare brand. Sure, ROC. ROC. Uh, they teamed up with an independent research firm to rank the most wrinkle-prone cities in the United States. Okay, cities prone to so, developing wrinkles. Okay. So, right, right. So now I apologize to all our international listeners, but they only have data for the U.S. So anyway, the study looked at various factors that contribute to wrinkle formation, like lifestyle, occupation, environmental influences, and cities with the higher levels of pollution, longer commute times, and higher smoking rates were rated as more wrinkle-prone. Okay. Uh, so they, they then they used that information to predict which cities would be the most wrinkle-prone uh, by 2040. <laughs> I don't really know why. Hmm. But that's, okay, and this is like so, a random future date to pick, but okay. There you go. So, according to them, the most wrinkle-prone city in the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, Philadelphia. <laughs> it, it, well, it is seen as a high-stress city. They have long commute times, and they have a higher-than-average level of people who smoke. I, I get the smoking piece, but, like, long commute times? I would think, like... Uh, hours of sunshine would be more of a factor because of the effect on well, skin. So Miami, I would expect to be high. You know, you know what? That's that's exactly what I thought. I mean, okay, I get the the smoking yeah. piece, but there's like sun doesn't even right, seem doesn't to even show have up. come but into commute play. time. They're all over that. <laughs> so in case you were curious, Denver was the second. Mm-hmm. Seattle was third. Our fine city of Chicago comes in fourth. Ooh, we're number four. And the least wrinkle-prone city on the list of the top 50 wrinkle-prone cities is San Jose, California. Which I think <laughs> it's a pretty good amount of sunlight. You're right. I mean, I, I don't know about this list. All right, well. A city like Phoenix comes in at sixth. Come on, Tampa Bay. Yeah. They, they should be much higher, right? right? Yeah. I've, been to, I've been to Phoenix. Those people are wrinkly. <laughs> <laughs> Send your emails to Perry Romanowski. <laughs> You know, the, the other thing that I thought about this was, uh, so they say those are the most wrinkle-prone cities, right? right? If you had good-looking skin, though, then that's where you'd really want to live, right? Because <laughs> you stand because out. Like, be, right, in comparison. Like, like, you, you're, you're, like you're average-looking if you're in, you know, whatever, right. the, a low-wrinkle city. Right, but, right. San Jose, right. you're average-looking. You move looking. to Philadelphia, you're a hottie. <laughs> exactly. So that's how I would use that data. <laughs> Way to twist a study to your own uh, perspective. Uh, Well, I'm just going to follow suit. Here's another study about wrinkles. Uh, Did you know that selfies, taking selfie pictures, can cause wrinkles? I I did not know that. Too much smiling? Well, I don't don't completely buy into this, but there may be some data that suggests that the blue light that's given off by our phone screens, you know, the type when taking selfies can damage the skin just like UV rays can. Now, I know you're making a face. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm buying into this, but... That's only because I'm, I'm wincing because of the pain in my side <laughs> and the broken rib. <laughs> Try holding your breath for the rest of the show. Um, this, uh, the quote in the article was from the medical director of the Linea Skin Clinic in London, who says, those who take a lot of selfies and bloggers should worry. <laughs> Even even uh, the blue light from our screens can damage the skin. So this this isn't the first time I've heard this blue light story. I, I think it, it's probably something we should look into to see if there's any credible data that the, the wavelengths of radiation from screens are damaging to skin. I'm, I'm not convinced. Yeah, I, uh, it would be interesting to quantify In, that indeed, data, right? Indeed. Yeah, yeah. All right, I got one more story here about uh, sunscreens. Oh. And 
whether they're actually protecting you. Mm -hmm. So this study was published in the journal uh, JAMA Dermatology, which found that the most popular selling sunscreens on Amazon may not actually be working as well as they should. Okay. So the researchers found that half of the sunscreens they looked at, and I'll get to how they, what they picked to look at, they did not meet the American Academy of Dermatology's guidelines on what makes a good sunscreen. Okay. So, so their guidelines include three things, right? There's, they say an effective sunscreen should be broad spectrum, okay. so it protects against UVA and UVB. Right. It should have an SPF rating of 30 or higher. Okay. And it should be water-resistant and sweat-resistant. Okay. So in the study, they looked at the top 1% of sunscreens sold, which was 65 of them on Amazon.com. Mm -hmm. Apparently, there's 6,500 sunscreens <laughs> for sale on Amazon.com. Anyway, they looked at the top 65 based on consumer ratings. And based on consumer comments, they found that purchases were driven by cosmetic factors rather than functional ones. So hmm. people were buying and rating products because of how it felt when it was applied or how it smelled or the color, right? Huh. Unfortunately, what they found was that a lot of these best-selling products, they fell short when it came to effectiveness. In fact, 26 of the 65 that they looked at didn't meet all of the uh, AAD's effectiveness criteria. Most commonly, uh, the ones that didn't live up to that, they were not water or sweat resistant. Ah. In fact, three of the top four sunscreens were not water or sweat resistant. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, it's really surprising because, I mean, it's not really surprising, <laughs> right? Because to, to make a sunscreen water resistant, you typically have to use more nonpolar materials and it's going to make it feel it, greasier, right? right? People don't like that heavy, greasy feeling and they're going to apply less. So, yeah, it's... Yeah. And if you, you uh, in, even like an SPF 50, it, when that's on your skin, it just does not feel as nice as like an right. SPF 30, yeah. right? So, Good point. But the bottom, the bottom line is that if you're looking to buy a sunscreen, you should first, you know, get something that is effective, which means it's broad spectrum, it's SPF 30, and is water and sweat resistance. And then once you can narrow it down to those types of sunscreens, then you should let things like your scent and the feel and aesthetic factors factor in. But you shouldn't let your these aesthetic factors drive, drive your purchases. Right. Not for this category of, of cosmetic slash drug product. Exactly. Yeah, good advice. All right, Perry. Well, uh, why don't we move on to the next segment oh. of the show, which is our all-audio cosmetic questions. Oh, I can't wait. All right, here we go. Hi, Beauty Brains. My name's Leslie, and I'm from Reno. First, I want to tell you what a huge fan of your podcast I am. Next, I have a question for you. There is a product that's gaining popularity in the United States called Babyfoot. I've used it, and it actually does work, but I don't understand how it works, and I don't know how safe it is. Can you please explain it just a little bit? Thank you. All right. Thank you, Leslie, for that question. So uh, let's talk about Babyfoot, Mr. Romanowski. Was I can't wait. wait. <laughs> wasn't that your nickname in prison, Babyfoot Romanowski? <laughs> no, I was never caught, oh, man. All right, all right. Well, in case our listeners aren't familiar with this product, it's a special type of exfoliator designed just for your feet. And for $25, you get two two booties aligned with a gel product. Two. Just, I think two? you just get two. <laughs> oh, <t> <laughs> Sorry. A little typo there. Wait, it's not... It's not like one of those uh, uh, infomercials where you get, two. not only do you get two, you get two-two. 
<laughs> well, anyway, so it's an exfoliator designed for your feet. Right. And here's what the website says about it. And I'm quoting here. Our scientifically formulated product contains 17 types of natural extracts. The principal ingredient is fruit acid, which penetrate, which penetrates into the dead layers of skin and breaks down the desmosomes, which hold the layers together. Skin is undamaged, but peels easily away from the fresh layer beneath. After peeling, your feet are reborn like a baby's foot. And then they note, baby foot must only be used on the feet. <laughs> so let me, I just want to be clear yes. that they're, they're not putting baby foot extracts in the yeah, product. Just to be clear, that's not an ingredient. It's not like jojoba <laughs> shampoo and then you put the jojoba. Right. No, that's right. completely different. But what you can see, though, from their website, they're very proud of these 17 <laughs> natural extracts, aren't they? But surprise, the natural extracts have very little to do with how this product actually functions. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm impressed with this product because I, I, I think it's great in the sense that it will do exactly what they say it will do. However, it doesn't work because of the reason they tell you. If you look at the, the ingredient list, the first couple of ingredients are our old friends, glycolic acid and lactic acid. And those are both alpha hydroxy acids, which most of you probably know are very good at exfoliating. Well, alpha hydroxy acids, or AHAs, they work by loosening the glue that holds dead skin cells together. And as you strip away the upper layer of dead skin, the remaining skin will be very soft and supple. Now, these are sometimes called fruit acids, but fruit extracts are not the source of these fruit acids. Fruit acids only occur naturally at very low levels to make commercial quantities of lactic acid, for example. You have to use a large-scale fermentation process. You don't get it from uh, fruits there's just, yeah, directly. There's just not enough there. It, it's funny, though, when you, you know, when you abbreviate alpha-hydroxy acids to AHAs. I remember at Alberto, there was a marketing, I think it was a vice president of marketing, who would always pronounce it as ahas. She would say, yes, it's an exfoliator with ahas. I was like, no, nobody calls it that. All right, anyway. Let's get to that. Uh, so, yeah, so you, you, get, you, you have to do this fermentation process to create ahas. <laughs> and that involves these giant vats of sucrose and glucose, and you mix that together with lime or chalk, and then you ferment that mixture until the... Um, the crude calcium lactate is formed, then you strip away the other junk, and then that leaves you with the lactic acid, which in turn is purified and concentrated into what you would buy to put into a product like this. I could go on with the reaction process, but I'm already boring myself. <laughs> well, the, the fermenting piece is done by microorganisms. It's no, should note that. Indeed, or, indeed. Right. But just because this is based on uh, common alpha-hydroxy acids, don't think that you can use normal exfoliate and face lotion on your feet, right? This is a case where buying a special product is probably justified. Yeah, there, there's kind of two bits of magic that make this product work as well as it does. First... Uh, it's designed only for your feet, and they're very clear about that. And the feet tend to have a thicker layer of calloused skin. So right. they can formulate the product with higher levels of alpha-hydroxy acids than you would find in a face product. So, you, I mean, you, you could use your regular exfoliating facial product you know, and use this on your feet. That's probably not going to work as well. It certainly won't hurt you. Now, on the other hand, you wouldn't want to use the baby foot product on your face because it, it could give you a chemical burn. Yeah, actually, the skin on your face is a little thinner exactly. than the skin on your sure. feet. 
Now, the second bit of magic is the fact that it has an occlusive application method. Uh, that's the little plastic sock that you wear after applying the product. Mm -hmm. uh, this application method accomplishes two things. It keeps the solution from evaporating right. so it stays more active against your skin, and it prevents it from being rubbed off, presumably while you walk around or put on regular socks or, or whatever. Yeah, right. So it's the combination of this higher concentration and the occlusive application that really boost the efficacy and help this product deliver the softness of a baby's foot. So. So it really does work. Now, she also asked if it's safe. Well, that's a good question, and the answer is mostly yes. <laughs> it's definitive. <laughs> AHAs uh, are used in thousands of products with very little problem. However, because this is a higher concentration, if you were to have more sensitive skin, it's conceivable yeah. that you could get a chemical burn on your foot from this. And apparently, that indeed has happened to some people. Yeah, I found one article about the product who quoted a dermatologist, uh, a Dr. Sandra Bendick. She works with the, the One Medical Group, and uh, she said it's concerning that the product doesn't disclose the level of the acids in baby foot. Um, AHAs can be used up to about 10%, but we don't know how much are in this product. She also right. mentioned, and this was a little unnerving, but some of the reviews for the product mentioned side effects like, quote, bleeding, cellulitis, and having to go to the ER after using it. <laughs> Wow. Uh, she also did they, did they put that on their website? <laughs> I don't believe so. She also says that diabetics who can have issues with nerve endings in their feet shouldn't use the product either. Well, in addition, according to the Baby Foot website, the product should be avoided during pregnancy, lactation, or menstruation because during this period, the skin becomes more sensitive due to the disruption of the normal hormone balance. I don't think I've ever seen a product... That uh, warns you not to use it during menstruation. That's I think it's, that's a first. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how how is lactic acid or AHAs uh, affected by the hormone balance. So. Well, I don't know, but I do know that uh, the FDA does classify one of the acids in the product, which is salicylic acid, as a Category C drug, and that there are some links to salicylic acid in birth defects, but. Ah, well, maybe they were just, you know, covering their butts there. So the bottom line is that the product does use technology, which is very effective, although it's rather expensive for what you get. Yeah. The ingredient it's based on are commonly used in the beauty industry, but the concentration and application method may cause problems for some people. We'll include a, a, a list of the ingredients in the show notes. We will indeed. All right, so thank you for that question, Leslie. Uh, next up, we've got one from Ronnie. Hey guys, this is Ronnie from Modesto, California again. I just have a quick question about makeup setting sprays. I have noticed a big difference. I've tried doing half my face with a setting spray and half my face without a setting spray. And it seems like the half of the side that has the setting spray on it generally just wears longer. The makeup looks better at the end of the day. It doesn't look quite as like greasy or... Um, you know, tired and things like that. My question is, what exactly is making the makeup setting spray do that? Um, like, why does it actually make it last longer? Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. Thank you, Ronnie. Uh, first of all, bravo for you for doing your own half face test to determine yeah, if the product yeah provides any benefit we, at all. I, I like that. We do encourage our uh, audience to test scientifically. We do. I, I feel like we should do something special for her, like maybe send her a free copy of our home game. Uh, we have a home game? 
Sorry, we don't, don't have a home game, the... actually. But, but if we ever create a Beauty Brains app, we're going to send her a free copy. <laughs> All right, so anyway, Perry, what, tell us, what's the deal with these makeup setting sprays? All right, the name setting spray seems a little inaccurate to me. It implies you're doing something to make up to, uh, something to the makeup to cure it or anchor it to the skin. But in reality, what you are doing is you're just putting a thin film on top of the makeup, and that helps it remain undisturbed. Yeah, um, let, I think it might be helpful just to take a look at a, a couple of product examples. And she emailed us uh, the product she used. It's the Wet and Wild Picture Perfect Setting Spray. It's not wet and wild, by the way. Oh, the it's wet, wet and wild. <laughs> right. So the main ingredient in that product is PVP, which is a, it's a polymer that's a film former, and PVP stands for? That's one of my favorites, polyvinyl pyrrolidone. You know, PVP is the ingredient that they use to hold the M on m Oh, I'd forgotten that. So, that's right. And it, it makes sense that it would be used in a product like this, right? Make, it's makeup setting and M&M setting. <laughs> there you go. Well, anyway, PVP is it's used in products like gels and mousses, and it, it forms that film to hold the hair in place, right? Mm -hmm. And by the same principle, PVP can form a film over your makeup, and what that prevents it from smearing or smudging easily. Now, the disadvantage to PVP is that it's hygroscopic, which means that it can absorb moisture from the air, which can make it feel sticky. Right. In this particular product, the PVP is dissolved in a mixture of water and alcohol. Of course, that will evaporate. Uh, and then the product also contains propylene glycol, which will plasticize that film to keep it from cracking. Now, so how do you use this stuff? Now, the website includes instructions that say you hold the setting spray eight inches from your face and mist it in a crisscross pattern. <laughs> It's rather specific, isn't it? <laughs> it kind of is, yeah. Uh, and then what's the cost of this thing, uh, the Wet n' Wild product? It's relatively inexpensive. It's about $5 for a, an ounce and a half bottle, so you figure that's $3.30 an ounce. Not bad. Uh, okay, so let, next let's take a look at the, um, the matte finish setting spray from NYX Cosmetics. All right, well, this one is based on a different polymer. It's VPVA copolymer. Now, you can think of VPVA copolymer as the next generation of PVP. Mm -hmm. It provides similar benefits, but is less likely to absorb moisture. So that means in hairsprays, it, it provides superior hold. And I assume this property would make it better for a setting, a makeup setting product as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the instructions on this one are to hold 8 to 10 inches away from your face, Close your eyes. I think that's an important step the first one omitted. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you're supposed to spray in a downward motion three times. So not crisscross, downward. <laughs> Just downward. Okay. Well, this one sells for 8 bucks for two ounces, or that's about $4 an ounce. So it's slightly more expensive, but it could very well be worth it. Right. Uh, and then finally, let's look at an example that uses a somewhat different technology, and this is Urban Decay Cosmetics all-nighter makeup setting spray. It's different uh, in that it uses a hybrid approach. In addition to the PVP for the film forming, it also contains a couple of uh, fluorinated ethers mm -hmm. uh, and a couple of additional polymers. So in theory, this kind of system could provide a much more durable, waterproof makeup shield. It's interesting. The website describes it as a groundbreaking, clinically tested formula that features patented temperature control technology that actually lowers the temperature of your makeup to keep it in place even in hot and humid days. 
Come on, really? I mean, I don't know about temperature control, but it certainly could work better in high humidity with these ingredients. You know, I was kind of blown away because the website describes a seven-day clinical study that conduct, they conducted on the product, and then they found 78% of participants said all-nighter helped their makeup last for 16 hours. Over 80% said their makeup not only looked better, it stayed on better, even in the T-zone, without settling into fine lines. And then 88% or more said all-nighter was the best product to help their makeup last. I mean, most of the anti-aging products we see don't do this much testing. And not <laughs> yet on a, on a makeup setting spray, they did a seven-day clinical? I don't know. I mean, that doesn't mean much. I don't think they compared it to anything. So what? Like those numbers are kind of in a vacuum. Right, right, um, exactly. And by the way, just for the record, on this product, you're supposed to mist the face two to four times <laughs> in an X and T formation. So... <laughs> 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 or an O formation, so you can play a whole game on your face. <laughs> now, here is a catch about this product. The product sells for $30 for four mm. ounces, which makes it about $7.50 an ounce. Mm. That's more than twice as much as the Wet n Wild product, so that might leave you wondering, is it twice as good? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. There's a lot of test data that would make you want to think so, but... What I would say is, Ronnie, do your half-face test again. Like, go, go try and find a sample of this stuff at Sephora or someplace where they have a tester and use the, the Wet n Wild product that you seem to like on one side of your face and use this product on the other side of your face. Yeah. If you see a big difference, it may be worth that you know, twice as expensive price. Yeah. It, it also makes me wonder, uh, could you just use an unscented hairspray to do the same thing? <laughs> uh, only if you apply it to your face in a rhomboid pattern. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Randy, before we get to our next question, uh, how about we do a few of the iTunes reviews? Yes, let's. Uh, we have another one of our controversial iTunes reviews this week, but let me, oh. I'll let you read that one. I'm going to read the, the easy one first. Uh, Janelli L. says, it's my new favorite podcast, Five Stars. They provide great insight on how products work and call out what products claims are BS. Plus, they are never boring with their dry humor and sarcastic banter. Another plus is that you ever have a question, they are so quick with responding to your email. So thank you, Janelle. We do, yeah. we do take pride in our ability to respond to emails. Indeed we do. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see what uh, Slithy Tove says. Now, I'm going to warn you, this is a long one. So take a deep breath, right. which I know is going to hurt. <laughs> yeah, it does hurt. Every time I breathe, I get that stabbing side pain. <laughs> but I will marshal on. All right. Uh, Beauty is a lot more than science. Three stars. It's great to have a resource that encourages consumers to think more critically about the content of the products they buy, and this show has taught me a lot in that respect. But as a woman, sometimes it's hard to listen to two men laugh about how ridiculous beauty marketing can be when most of it is unrelentingly targeted at women's self-esteem. For example, when they were discussing unlicensed butt injections, a horrifically dangerous practice that disproportionately affects lower-income trans women who can't afford to get the procedure done safely, and making callous puns about the bottom line, the insensitivity made me cringe. Or another direct quote, if you want to give yourself the best chance of getting a good grade, just make yourself as attractive as possible. Uh, this just after recognizing the same study found this bias didn't apply to male students. 
I know you guys focus on science and you like to keep things lighthearted, but I often wish you'd recognize there's way more to all of this than chemicals. Marketing hype and unfair biases about beauty come from cultural norms and contexts that can be seriously messed up. Props to Randy for acknowledging this time to time. I guess I don't. (laughs) So how about a dedicated regular feature about ridiculous products for men to balance things out? Or letting your female email intel interns interns turn speedy uh, on this show. That's what I'd call being even more brainy about your. Beauty. Wow, there's a lot there, but thank you, Slithy, for taking the time to, you know, to break that down for us. I, you know, and I do apologize if we're being insensitive. That's certainly not our intent. Um, at least we're not trying to be insensitive to our audience, right? We're, we're trying to poke fun at the companies who market these products, not the people that are targets of the marketing. I mean, we're trying to help people see right. through that BS. Um, so uh, certainly that's not how we intended to come off. Now, we have talked about men's products from time to time, but to be honest, most of the ridiculous products in the beauty industry are geared towards women. I mean, if we, you know, when we see you know, ridiculous male products, sure, we'll give those a, sh- a shout out and poke fun at those as well. And you know, finally, if our female intern ever wants to speak out on the show, we'd welcome that. But um, uh, and I don't disagree with you, Slithy, that there's more to beauty than science. But we're cosmetic scientists, not sociologists. So the scientific perspective is what you're going to get from us. That's just that's just what we do. Right. And uh, I think that a lot of times when you do cite studies where uh, the, the one about uh, being good looking will mm. get you good grades, I mean, maybe the sarcasm right. didn't come through on that. We don't really right. think that's, you should try we, to be good. We were making good fun grades. of what I mean, we considered to be a poorly designed study. We weren't making fun of people yeah. and telling them to go do that approach. Uh, anyway. No. No. I, yeah, so I, I think there's a little misunderstanding, but I, I can understand we're, we're not always sensitive to uh, yeah, how everybody true. might be feeling and apologize true. for All that. All right. Well, of. thank you. All right. Well, let's, let's move on. We, but we are a science. <laughs> right. We're so you are, yeah. Based. Tune in for the science. Uh, all right. So finally, here's a question from Sylvia from Spain about sunscreen pills. Hi, guys. I'm Sylvia. I'm from Spain. And I would like to know uh, what information you have about the sun protection pills, if they really works to protect our skin. Thank you very much. You know, personally, I think SPF pills are in the realm of quackery. But according to the American Academy of Dermatologists, there is some promising research in this area. Yeah, we found an article from 2014 that quoted a Dr. Lim from the AAD uh, who says that there is some data showing that uh, polypodium leucotomos, which is an extract of a Central American fern plant, can increase the the amount of time it takes for skin to become sunburned. And that's in pill form. Yeah, according to Dr. Lim, we're not completely sure how sunscreen pills work, but the main understanding is that polypodium uh, lucto... (laughs) Wow, you always do this to me. You always give me... (laughs) Not on purpose. Polypodium leucotomus acts as an antioxidant, so it protects the skin from oxidative damage caused by sun exposure. Which almost sounds good to be true, but do you know how much sun protection this thing really provides? Well, you know, it, it's tough to compare directly because the ingredient uh, you take orally and it's not applied right. to the skin. But Dr. Lim says studies estimated having an SPF of about 
three to five, <laughs> which <laughs> wow. is way less than the Academy's recommended SPS level of 30 or higher, right? That's worse than some of those Amazon sunscreens you were just talking about. <laughs> Indeed. So, okay. So if, if the best studied sunscreen pill ingredient maybe gives you an SPF of less than five, it, it seems kind of pointless. I mean, there's no way you could replace using a sunscreen lotion with it. I mean, at best, maybe it would supplement the protection you'd get from your lotion a little bit. But that's assuming, of course, that the pill you buy even has the right ingredient at the right concentration. And we know these supplements are just you know prone to being mismarketed. So you don't right. really know what you're buying because they're not regulated very well. Yeah. The, the, the most promising thing to me about this is that there is some potential here. It just, so yeah. just yeah. at the moment, uh, that potential isn't realized. It's, the science is way behind the marketing here. There you go. Very good. All right. So do we, we're, we're running a little long, but do we have time for a book plug? Do you have something today? Well, you know how I was running yesterday and, <laughs> and then yeah. I tripped and fell and... I do. Yeah, I recall that story from 28 <laughs> minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> Nearly broke my rib. But you know what I was doing while I was running <laughs> and, and juggling? I was uh, listening to a book. Mm -hmm. The book was called Frankenstein's Cat. And I distinctly remember as I was plummeting to the ground... That the the chapter was about uh, these angelfish that they've genetically mo modified so they glow in the dark. Fascinating oh. stuff, yeah. It's, uh, audiobooks are fascinating. You can learn all kinds of cool stuff while you're running and, and falling to the ground. And you can get your audiobooks if you go through audible.com, and that helps the beauty brand. So you can sign up with audible.com at our link, audibletrial.com slash beautybrains. Uh, where you can download a free uh, audiobook and you can then that that'll sign you up to the service and you can cancel at any time but you get to keep that free audiobook so if you want to learn about uh, the genetic modification of angelfish <laughs> go to audibletrial.com/beautybrains uh, i suggest you next you download a book about the hazards of distracted running <laughs> just in case you might pick up some tips there that's so. not a bad Anyways. idea <laughs> All right, I guess All that right. brings us to the end, huh? We are, we are out of time, but I, everybody, you're going to want to come back next week and find out the diagnosis from Perry's chest x-ray. So come back for that. And until then, remember, be brainy about your beauty. <laughs> <laughs>